right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses <coughs> oh, 8 through 10. Mm-hmm. So, um, also, <clears throat> we didn't even get to Ephesians, did we, last week? Uh, it reminded me if we... I can't, can't remember. We... We ended up talking about gosh, temptation and like enduring temptation. That was before that, though. Oh, oh, were week? you not here last week? That's why. Yeah, it was. No, last week was the temptation yeah, thing. That was the week it's I just was. That you're thinking it was last week because we didn't meet this Tuesday, probably. Oh. oh, so it was like a week. It was like a week and a half ago. A week and a half ago, but yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Temptation. The enduring. Gosh, you're right. Yep. So. Yeah. So basically, like every time we address these texts little things come out of the text that may not be contextually about that specific text. Like temptation is n- not a big, is not really the, the point here in Ephesians 2, right? Mm-hmm. But we ended up talking about temptation because of like something you guys had said or a question you had asked or somehow I'd gotten us off topic to that or something. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> it may or may not be relevant to the text itself, <clears throat> but it's relevant to your guys' learning. So, um. All right, let's, uh, what's the first thing we do? Pray. 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 Why? Because the Holy Spirit's our teacher, and we need his help. Mm-hmm. Who wants to pray? I got it. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can just get together and study your word. I pray that you would um, just open our hearts and uh, eyes uh, just to... Accept whatever you want to teach us today. I pray that we would not just um, uh, just hear these words, but also just apply them to our lives and actually live them out. And yeah, so thank you for today. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, Evan. Yep. Read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, so right there, right, literally right there it says, which God prepared beforehand. Isn't that talking about predestination? <laughs> All right, I guess we're done today. It's a good job. Because, yeah, that's the point. I just... Right, so, like, it's a, it's evidence. Again, like, we're... All, all we're doing is reading the Bible. Right. I didn't tell you what I think. I didn't... I didn't push my theology onto you. I'm not telling you what to believe. You're just you reading just, and learning from what you read. Yeah. You read the scripture... And in reading it, your conclusion was, God seems to be doing something that I wouldn't be able to do on my own, and he's doing it for me. For but it's something that created. most most of the time we think is our job. Beforehand. Before. Before what? It just says beforehand. Like beforehand could be like before a lot of things. Right. Let's like, be, yeah. So before we get there, because that's okay. a great that's a great question, Charlie. Okay. <clears throat> to to look at that word and be like, what are we saying here? Yeah. Um We already talked about verse eight, but this is okay, so like early on when it was just you and Dante, Evan and Dante, 
Um, I was <coughs> teaching you guys the five solas of the Reformation, right? Uh, and one of them is um, uh, sole fide, which is faith alone, right? So like the five standing truths of <clears throat> the Reformation or essentially what Christian faith is about, mm-hmm. um, which is Christ alone, by faith alone, Scripture alone, um, grace by grace alone, and uh, glory of to God, God, the glory of God. So, like that's essentially what like the five core. Yeah, beliefs, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, and they're called the five solas because they were the five important distinctions that the reformers stood on to separate themselves from the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so this is, you know, 1500s, um, late 1400s into the 1500s that these things were kind of happening. <clears throat> Martin Luther, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say he began the Reformation, <coughs> he was the kind of the marking point of the Reformation. And so uh, those are distinct to salvation. Like we are justified by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Scripture alone has the authority and it's all for God's glory. So like that's really important when we consider our justification. So let's just get some terms clear. Um, salvation. Okay. What is, what, we break salvation down into three terms. Okay, so salvation is, think of salvation as a big word. It's an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Salvation, the word salvation is an umbrella. Underneath that umbrella are three words that make salvation what it is. So if you were going to make a cake, and that cake was called salvation cake, there's three ingredients you'd put in it, and what are they? Justification. Justification. Sanctification. Sanctification. Glorification. Glorification. Okay, so let's identify those terms. What is justification? Like, is justification the first step? Did I put them in the right like, order? You're in the right like, order. Okay, so justification is like when you first accept Jesus as your savior. Um, yeah, and that's true, absolutely. Um, but I feel like it's more. Than so, that. so like from our perspective. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Let me let me clarify. So we've got this word justification. There's justification, and then there's something we call effectual justification. When the moment we experience, or our, the moment we experience our justification, the moment it feels to us like our justification has taken effect, which is what we call it effectual mm-hmm. justification, right? So, um, but biblically speaking, justification is something that's, Part of what justification is, is going on kind of underneath you and you don't even know what's happening. All right? So, (laughs) you're getting ahead of me, but you're not, I mean, you're on the right perspective there. So, justification is, by definition, um, a instant... It's instantaneous. It's not like a process. Okay. Sanctification, we would call a process. Justification is a moment. It is an 
instant. There's no like dra- dragging it out. It just happens instantaneously. And what happens in the moment of justification is God think of um I'm going to try to like frame this for you in a way that makes sense. Um What's the root word of justification? Justice. Justified. Justice. Or just. So justification is us being justified. And um, what's the root word of justified? Just. Just. Correct. You're going too far. Justify. Justice. 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 Okay, when you think of justice, what do you think of? The law of courts. The law of courts. Right? Fair. All right, so... Who determines justice in the American legal system? The judge. The judge, right? And sometimes a jury of your peers, but whatever. So justification, think of justice or just or justified, right? It's all, it's like a legal term, right? Mm -hmm. And so justification is this moment where God is the judge. And when he, when you're justified, he slams his gavel and he declares two things. One, he declares your sins forgiven. So you're standing before God in a courtroom and he goes, You, sir, deserve an eternity in a burning lake of fire, separated from my beautiful glory and joy, the never-ending misery. Okay, that's what we deserve and that's what he's ju- that's how he's judging us. And Jesus goes, I got this. He's with me. Uh, I already served his sentence, and uh, he's set free. And God says, okay, so you deserve to go to hell, but my judgment is your payment for your crime has already been fulfilled and paid. So your sins and the consequence of your sins are forgiven. Mm. Okay? So... God takes your sin away. There's something else that happens at justification called (laughs) the imputation of righteousness, which is God. So imputation meaning input, right? If I impute, impute something to you, it's like me putting it into you, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm imputing knowledge into you right now. We'll just say that. So, So the imputation of righteousness is... Not only does God t- forgive your sins and take them away, but he also puts into you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Jesus' entire life that he lived and the perfection of it, all the credit he gets with God the Father, God gives completely to you. So it'd be like taking a test and you show up for the test and you get every single question wrong. And the person sitting next to you gets an A plus and the teacher goes, you know what? Um, I'm going to give you his A plus. You both get the A plus. And you'd be like, why? Like, why, why would the teacher do that? It's like pure grace. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyway. And so we call this the um, well, Martin Luther, the guy who sparked the Reformation, calls this the great exchange where the moment we're justified is the moment that God slams his gavel down and says, 
not guilty of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And simultaneously, I'm putting the righteousness of my son Jesus into you. Get that from 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's justification, all right? Like, there's, a, there's even more involved in that, which Ephesians does kind of reveal to us. But let's just do an overview of these, this word salvation still. So justification is the first thing that happens. It's the moment God declares you not guilty of your sins, forgiven, and puts into you the perfection of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. So your sins are taken and you get him. And that moment is what a lot of people call saved. Like if you ask someone, when did you get saved? Oh, six years old. Then that's when they were justified. The thing is, that actually happens usually before we recognize that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right? Because in order to be justified, we have to. Well, what do I want to say is, um, you know what? Forget that. Let's we'll come back to that if we have to, because I want to. I want to move on to the next one. What's the second? ingredient in salvation so first one's justified second ingredient in salvation is sanctification sanctification so justification then sanctification and what is sanctification that's the process of you then growing in your faith being more like christ yeah to yeah spiritual growth yeah sanctification is like cleansing yeah, that's a good word. Cleansing, um, consecrating. Um, sanctification is ultimately the Christian life. Right? Like, we are... Once we're justified, the moment justification happens, sanctification begins... And it is just this lifelong process of growing in the knowledge of God. So the interesting thing about interesting thing about sanctification is, what did we get at justification? Um, God's righteousness. Righteousness, right? But whose? God's. No, Jesus. Jesus's. We need to be clear there because Jesus's righteousness was earned by his perfection as a human being on earth. So it's uniquely. The righteousness of Jesus. It's not the righteousness of God the Father in the sense that, I mean, still ultimately God's righteousness in Christ even, but but Jesus, the human man, who is also God, uh, lived the perfectly righteous life on earth, and it's his perfect righteousness that is credited to us at justification. And so once we're justified, we begin this life sanctification so we get that righteousness when we're justified then why do we need to be sanctified if we received at justification the perfection of jesus the perfection of jesus then why do we need to be sanctified if we're already perfect would it be for god's glory 
Well, really. yeah, I mean, ultimately, but like, I mean, I guess he. Gets, okay, when you're justified, he puts his righteousness. I, mean, I guess in he you. gets. Yeah. Okay, so you have perfect righteousness in you. So what needs to change? Because you're perfect now. I mean, when God justifies you, that means He has declared you His, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're His, you can't be His if you're an unrepentant sinner who won't accept His salvation. Mm-hmm. So, what is required to be saved? What is ultimately like, required? Believe, oh, to believe in Him? Okay, for us, Old yes, faith? belief. Oh, yeah, no, you're you're right. That's that you actually answered the question correctly. But but mm-hmm. I'm actually what I'm asking is what does God require of us? Not just our faith in Him. What do we have to have to spend eternity in His presence? Salvation. What do we have to have? What do we have to be? Well, or have. Perfect? We have to have? Yes. Perfection. Right. Or is anyone who's imperfect going to spend eternity with God? No. 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 Are any of us perfect? No. 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 So we're screwed, right? Right. Yeah. Except for, you know, by God's grace, he gives us Jesus, right? Right. And so what is Jesus giving us? Salvation. Perfection. Perfection. And what do we call that Perfection. Righteousness? Righteousness. So when we get the righteousness of Christ, we get the perfection of Christ. And with the perfection of Christ, we've got our ticket into the eternal life in his presence. Mm-hmm. So and we, when do we get that perfection or that righteousness? Justification. At justification. Mm-hmm. So then what's the point of sanctification if we're already perfect? Well... Maybe, maybe you weren't actually justified though. If that's your mindset, like you just opt out right away, or no, but you wouldn't think that. Yeah, not if you're justified, you wouldn't. Right. So would you say you're perfect right now? I don't know. It's yes. Just, <clears throat> it's just so ask you, me a different question. You never do you ever sin? Yes. So you can't be perfect then. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, basically, <laughs> so exactly, you just contradicted yourself. So, no, I didn't though. Not biblically. So, okay, okay. Let me let me, let me just clarify. <laughs> You're perfect, correct. But to be perfect, you cannot sin, correct. But you sin, correct. therefore, you should be not perfect, correct. But that's but you. You know what? Okay. Charlie, that's exactly where I wanted your brain to go. That's, that was like the most perfect logic you can have, right? Yeah, that lo- yeah, my logic is imperfect. Aren't I imperfect? Okay. So you just asked me if I'm perfect, right? And I said yes. Do you really? I mean, we all know that I'm not perfect, right? Um, but you said we're perfect when we're, when yeah. we're justified. Yeah, so that's what we have to decide. Because so are we scripture, perfect or not? Des- scripture describes it a little... Like there are different... There are different ways to understand who we are depending on where we're at in our life. Didn't we talk about this one day? About like how our flesh is like <coughs> not perfect. Or does that sound familiar? But like mm-hmm. how God, like our position. 
Oh, that, Charlie! The position in... I don't know how it goes. But. That word. Just say that word again. The P word. Perfect? No. P- position. Position! Okay. Position is... I think we talked about this. Everything. We have talked about this. Position. But I don't, I, I don't actually remember... Like it, We were talking about like a word. Like... Position it's in... It's a phrase. Position... It's a phrase. It has a comma in it. Position, comma... It's a phrase that we use. It's a theological phrase, but it doesn't look like a theological phrase. No, I want to remember. Virtual uh, position. Oh, a. A, but. What does that say? Down, but not out. What's the A word? Okay, let me clarify it like this. Is that this. a V or an N? We should play Hangman. It's, an, it's N. an N, right? Yeah. Actually, but not... Actually? <laughs> I don't know. Perfect, per- but not perfect. Per- it starts with an A. <laughs> Wait, a, per- a word that's like perfect, but starts with A? It doesn't mean perfect. But a synonym? Um, no. No, no. Uh, actually, I'll take the parentheses away. Unperfect. Is A the first letter in the word, or yes. is that like A yeah. and then no, 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 it's no. the first it's, letter it's like word. a word that starts with A. Okay. Blank perfect, but blank blank perfect. Actually is this perfect, we, but is, not actually perfect. Is this no. when we talked about oh, the perfect. depraved thing? Yes. Really? Deprived. Well, what's the Deprived. Deprived. Think about the questions you asked me, Charlie. Okay, do you sin? No, it was the first question you asked me. Are you perfect? Yep. You said yes. Mm-hmm. That's Accordingly just... perfect, but not spiritually. Now ask me the other questions. What questions? The other ones you were asking me. Um, have you ever sinned? Yes. Per- <laughs> so, so then, therefore, you should not be perfect. So I'm not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So did you lie to me? Some perfect, but not perfect. Actually, but not actually. That's. I feel like. That works. Uh, <laughs> actually perfect, but not actually perfect. You, you're... <laughs> like, okay. similar... You got this of, word right. Well, yeah, I, I knew that... But there's another word than actually. It's not actually. I can't think of words. I can tell you this much. I it's not going to happen tomorrow. It happened before today. So it has... Ascension. Uh, Almost? No. Arrived. No. It's wait, wait, say that again. Say it's again. in the past. So, already gone. Already! Woo! Alright. Already, oh. but not what? <sighs> Dude, not already. Oh, the perfect is like in Wait, the phrase. Uh, yeah, already perfect. Oh, when you put them in the parentheses. That's, that's why like, I took the parentheses off. Oh, I thought you were saying like the words meant perfect. Oh, gosh, I messed up. Okay. okay. Wait, no, I'm working Already, <laughs> that I want but before. not yet. Already. Not yet! Oh. That's the phrase right there. Already, but not yet. But it doesn't make sense. Because it does make already, sense. But not yet. Die, we w- no, that doesn't make sense. Okay. No, wait. If we're already perfect, so we have you can't. We have it in us not to be perfect. Be- <laughs> so when we die, we will be perfect. So we're perfect, but not perfect. Does that mean I can like <laughs> unlock my perfect potential then? That's weird. Don't talk about that. Perfect um, potential? <laughs> like, okay, so woke. here's the thing. Okay, so we've got, we're already perfect, but we're not yet perfect, right? So, you can't. What, what, how can you, you mean? 
Okay, so we'll, work, we'll get there. Because it doesn't make sense now. I mean, I know that's sense. true, but I don't... You used the word, though. Position. Well, yeah. Positionally, yeah. we're already perfect. And in order to understand this, we have to understand a timeless God. Consider that. God himself does not exist within a realm of time like we do. Is it like he views us perfect? Like, because he views us as, like, with us, with him in heaven, but yet on the earth right now in our flesh, we're not perfect? Yes, Charlie! Okay, it's kind of like... Yes, totally! It's kind of clicking You nailed it. You nailed it. So, like, God view like... Think about it like this. So it's not like in the moment right now we're both not perfect and perfect. It's kind of like almost he's viewing it at two different like, Like right now, positions. in this very moment, we only think of the moment as this moment in time. God doesn't live in time. So the moment for God is not a matter of a succession of moments that happen. Moments for God are outside of the realm of time. So all moments are experienced simultaneously for God. At least all moments that are within the timeline that he created, he experiences all of them simultaneously. In this quote-unquote moment right now, God's here with us. He's with Abraham 4,000 years ago, and he's with us in heaven eternally. That's just so confusing. But, but that doesn't make sense to us because we're living in the timeline. God doesn't live in the timeline. He supersedes. He created the timeline. So he can experience all the moments of time simultaneously, and that doesn't make sense to us because to experience all moments simultaneously would require being outside of the, the constrictions of time, but God is outside of the constrictions of time, and we aren't, so we can't fathom what that's like. And so already perfect in that when God justified us, it is guaranteed perfection. Oh, I get it now. So he positions us. Because he's not, okay. He positions us. No, I get it. In Christ, which, in Christ, which is perfect. So because God's not in time, we are perfect because. He's with us. He's with us while we're perfect. Like at that time when we are perfect. Yeah. And not only that. we are perfect. Not only that. But not like in our time we're perfect yet. Yes. But more importantly than that, because he has positioned us in Christ already. Oh, yeah. When I say already, I'm talking about justified. Okay? You've been justified. And because you've been justified, and that was in the past, and justification is a single moment, whereas sanctification is a process that you're still in. Justification is a single moment that already happened. And when it happened, we were positioned in Christ, which makes us perfect. <clears throat> so God looks at us as his son Jesus in his perfection and considers us perfect. Which means we aren't just, God isn't just <coughs> thinking about us in terms of like, oh, he's hanging out with us right now in heaven eternally. But in our experience, this is right now. That's true, but more importantly, God is saying, when I justified you, it is guaranteed perfection. You mm-hmm. can't lose it. You, you, like, yeah, like right. even though you're not yet perfect in this human experience, yeah. 
that already, if you've been justified, that perfection that I gave you when you were justified, that righteousness of Christ that I gave you, you were justified, that is sealed. Look at this. Ephesians 1, 14. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Verse 13, actually. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? What verse are you in? Wait, sorry, what verse? Chapter 1, verse 13. Sorry. And me also, when you heard the word of the gospel, and your salvation, believe in were sealed with the with promise, the with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who when we the, were justified, we were sealed, guaranteed perfection. And so God isn't just saying, I... I know I right in this very moment I'm experiencing eternity with you just as much as you're experiencing this life right here on earth. But he's also saying, My justification is so sure that when you believe in me, when you're justified, your position in Christ, which is perfect, perfection, is guaranteed. It's sealed. You are already perfect. But not yet. Do you are you perfect right now? <laughs> I don't know how to answer the question. <laughs> no. No. Are you perfect right now? No. Am I perfect right now? No. No. So even though we're already perfect because God has justified us and his justification is so sure that it's already guaranteed and it's already a reality, it's also for us in our experience a not yet. So even though we're already justified slash perfect, we are not yet perfect. So... That means we are not yet sanctified. We're being sanctified, but sanctification isn't complete. But the thing is, here on this earth, we're never going to get fully perfect until we die. All right, so let's just stop right there. And what's the third word? The three ingredients of salvation. Glorification. Glorification. That's when we die. What is glo- mm, No. Well, you can glorify God. That's when we go to heaven. Mm, no. Oh, okay. That's glorification is, to me, that's like the process of giving glory. No, right? glorification no. is... Or is it not? Well, in a sense, that, that word could mean that. Like, uh, glorification could be like, you know, it's the process of me giving God glory, right? But theologically, the word glorification is the third ingredient to salvation. Um, we have already experienced justification. We're in the process of experiencing sanctification, but we have not yet experienced glorification. Glorification is the end. Like, once your sanctification is complete... So wouldn't that be when we die? Or when... But we're not actually glorified until Christ gives us glorified bodies and oh so that might not not until what he until he returns so do you okay okay so you so let's say like all the people that are dead right now are they like are they cause, okay because i've heard some people say you go like straight to heaven and some people would say you're like in a, like a sleep and then when god returns then you christian sorry so like is that kind of part of it? Like what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, that's definitely part of the, the concept of like that. Those are what you're kind of identifying. Because you're, you're, you're saying it's not at death. And if you believe that you go to heaven, 
from death, then that would be the time of glorification. But you're saying it's not that. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Correct. I would say the time of glorification is when you, is when Jesus returns to give us glorified bodies. Yeah. Just like he has. So his glorification already took place. So what's the time between, like people that die before he returns? That's a great question. Can I? And I'm just afraid to answer it because I think that's a rabbit hole we could be in for a while, and I would rather that's, just. I love that. I love yeah, that. no, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get us down that rabbit hole then. But <laughs> Christian was over at my house, and he was talking to my mom about some questions, and I overheard him saying something like, "They were talking about Revelation and stuff," and Christian said something along the lines of like, "Since God is like outside of time, he's not saying this is going to happen, but it's possible that like, like." Instead of going to heaven, okay, like, we could just, like, wake up and be on the new earth because God's, like, outside of time. Oh. So, like, we could just, like... like sleeping. Or just, like... like so, like, the, so for like, people... Instead of, like... Oh, I think I understand what you're Instead saying. of, like, like when dying and going, to, and going to heaven... Like, the concept of time you is gone. You say you die and then you're... Like, you wake up in the new earth. You wake up when Jesus comes down. So basically, and then the time... it won't feel like any time is like passing between. But like because oh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe okay. I took so, what he said out of context. I, so, um, I think that makes a little bit of sense. And so a couple of things about that. A couple of maybe pieces of evidence that would support what he's saying is one when Scripture uses talks about dead people. Sometimes, oftentimes, will use the phrase. Those who are asleep. Oh, really? Right. What about okay. the guy on the cross? Right. So he said today. So I was going to get to that. Oh, that's all I, told, I remember that's. I do that's remember I, that now. Okay. All right. Yeah. So let, let me let me address this first, and okay. then we'll we'll then we'll maybe address why it might not work that way. Okay. And and so, uh, scripture describes the dead as those who are asleep. We see that in like First Thessalonians chapter four, and then um, it also describes like. Uh, the the activity of the dead as uh, the dead neither know anything or see anything or hear anything. There's no concept of reality for the dead. And that would match um, this concept of them sleeping. Because like, when you're asleep, you don't like... You don't know anything. I mean, you dr- the only thing is like you dream. Right. So sleep but that's is, all in your brain. Right. Or... But sleep is metaphorical. So you're not actually... Sleep, oh, yeah. you're dead. But it's the closest thing that we can comprehend. So your soul would wait. The issue with that is that there are people in Scripture who are dead and interacting. And so... Wait, what? Like, well, they, like there's um, one, one Abraham uh, or one <coughs> uh, Lazarus... Uh, uh, Um, <laughs> hold on a second. I want to find the reference. Do you want to use my phone? Uh, there we go. Okay. I just don't want to butcher this. Okay. There was a rich man who was clothed. This is Luke sixteen nineteen. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was a, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed and, and with what fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, or what is sometimes called Abraham's bosom, meaning his, like his, his chest, like the, the place of like comfort. So this Abraham's side is essentially how people, that, that idea is like, that's heaven. That's like the place that believers go before Christ returns and creates a new heaven and new earth for us all to dwell on. Yeah, Drew, yeah, in, Drew's in youth group, he was yeah. talking about uh, Abraham's bosom, and that's what they called it in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he says, the rich man also died and was buried. And in, <coughs> he's just very like, can you mute the cough a little bit? Like, <laughs> somehow, it's just... So, like, <laughs> like that? Okay, thanks. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, so he's in Hades. So essentially, Jesus is saying there's two places to go. Abraham's side, which is essentially heaven, <coughs> or uh, <coughs> Hades. Are you okay, though? <laughs> Why do you have to cough every three seconds? I don't know. Oh, you need a cough drop. Like, you don't cough any other time. Like, like when you cough, there's just, this. like, one, like, super long line on, like, the sound reader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mute it. That's good. That was good, though. Yeah. I just worried about your health. <clears throat> you okay? I don't want you to feel bad for coughing, but I kind of do. Yeah, right. So that you never do it again. Unbelievable. He's going to be like, when you try to cough, <laughs> like, you, he'll never cough again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I can't cough. My dad won't let me. <laughs> I was growing up, and my dad used to yell. Okay, anyways. So... <laughs> Um, so there's essentially two places to go, heaven or hell. And, you know, I mean, but the, the, the issue though is this word Hades, there's a lot of discussion about what that word means and whether that means heaven or not, not heaven, but whether that means like hell or just the grave. Um, it typically like Sheol is a word that's used that usually means like the grave, um, or, you know, being dead in, in a physical sense. Whereas, uh, Hades here is typically in reference to hell itself. Like an actual place. Yeah. yeah. And he says he's being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you uh, in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in his manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And then he goes on to... So what you see are... Uh, a rich man and a poor man. The poor man has nothing on earth. The rich man has everything on earth. They both die, and Lazarus gets the comfort of heaven, and the rich man who had all, the, all he needed on earth ends up in anguish and torment for eternity. And so, like, there is... Now, these people just died, and it's <coughs> describing them interacting with one another after they died, before Jesus returns. So... It's either metaphorical in the sense that Jesus is just giving us a picture of what heaven and hell will be like, in the sense that one of the places is great and one of the places really sucks. So, also, I don't know, what do you think about them communicating? I kind of feel like if someone's, if you're in heaven and someone's in hell, we're not going to be correct. remotely. And I, that's, that's why I think what Jesus is getting at in that story is... Not the logistics of heaven and hell. I think he's getting into the um, the concept that, or this idea that, 
if you want to enjoy the pleasures of heaven and not spend eternity in the anguish of hell, then you might have to not, you might not get to enjoy all the lavish luxuries on earth. Like it's more of a moral idea about how we live our lives on earth yeah. than it is about the uh, detailed description of what heaven and hell are actually going to be like. Yeah. And so I don't want to get wrapped up in that those details because I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. So there is this concept that we could die as believers and essentially be what we would call asleep, unaware, right? Not conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Jesus returns, we're... Like we're awakened because he actually says in First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen he talks about Paul talks about when Jesus um, call and when he when he returns with the sound of a trumpet and the angels will blow the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first and meet him in the sky and so if we're dead and asleep when he returns and maybe we're awakened at that moment and we come out of the grave and our souls meet him there and we receive new literally physical brand new resurrection bodies so we actually rise from death and awaken from our sleep and spend eternity with him so that's yeah. a possibility so how that makes sense so how would that work if you died and then went straight to heaven because then if you're already in heaven it's not like you can come out of the grave when jesus returns exactly so that is well like you- so okay so to answer that though if we're in heaven consciously our 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 soul is with the lord in this spiritual realm it's not the sky it's just a spiritual realm that we call heaven and we're in in the presence of jesus Mm -hmm. it's interesting because jesus isn't a spiritual being only right now Mm -hmm. he's in a physical literal body (coughs) so how would we dwell if we're just a soul Mm -hmm. and he is a body and our body's in a grave and we don't have resurrection bodies yet, so just our souls are with him. How do our souls dwell with him? If he's physical and we're just a soul, and we no wouldn't body, have our new bodies, and we don't get our new bodies yet. Which, because so to answer the question about kind of what you're asking is, the resurrection at that point then would mean that, like, why do the bodies have to? Why do we have to come out? It's of not the like grave? we're in heaven and then we go back into the grave. And it's like that isn't really right. Sense. I just we don't see that in scripture. So it makes more sense. It makes more sense that we're asleep. But I also think it's possible that that sleep, since when you are asleep or dead, you're not going to be aware of time. Right. So it might be like you die, and then it's like, oh, like do you like? Is there even a? Do you even like feel dead? No. Well, you don't feel dead, but no. I'm saying, it, will it just be like a moment of like, you're, like you're dead and then you like wake up and you're like, oh, I'm probably like, Jesus. Yeah, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't experience anything. <sighs> because you can't experience You wouldn't consciously be experiencing anything. And you certainly can't. Ex- which is really weird to think. Like, you're it's, just, it's like you go through like a, like a portal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I mean, from- just think about it. When you go to bed at night and you fall asleep. And then you just wake up in the morning. You don't you don't know what's going on for eight hours. You just your eyes shut and one moment you're not conscious. One moment you're conscious, and the next moment you're conscious again, and eight hours just pass by and you don't know what happened. And so what if eight hundred years pass by and you don't know what happened? I mean, that's not a difficult reality to 
I mean, see you. However, yeah. we've got text that you brought up, which is one of the clinching yeah. texts, which is on the cross, the thief believed in Christ, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, so maybe Jesus is alluding to today as in like when, when he dies, you know, we have no concept of time. So to him, it's going to feel like the same day when he wakes up and goes to paradise. Is that what he's alluding? Because we don't Jesus, know. a day <laughs> could be a thousand years. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's essentially... Dang. That would be an explanation <laughs> like mm-hmm. against you just going... Like, you go to heaven right away. So, so, I mean, you do... Well, I guess if you look at it that way, it is almost like you're going to heaven right away because... That sleep doesn't... I don't know. I'm not making sense. Like I'm yeah, saying, you're like, making... Words no, that. no. Everything you're saying, I'm totally tracking with. Yeah. Because if if Jesus is saying to that man, today you'll be with me in paradise, that man dies, and then that was 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, we're sh- and he's still it. asleep. When he opens his eyes, he's going to feel like it was that same day. Yeah, right. So to him, we're like... Like, if we were in his shoes, and we died... And he, it would have been like, we woke up in thousands, you know, depending on when Jesus returned. Right. But so there's, least... just, there's just nothing in scripture that really shows us the life of a believer who dies before the return of Christ and what that life looks like in heaven. Heaven is one of the things Jesus talks least about. So like, we don't have a picture of like, okay, so Abraham, who was around 4,000 years ago, a thief on the cross 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. um... Martin Luther, 500 years ago, my grandpa, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. Like, all these different people would be experiencing thousands of years or hundreds of years or very few years running around without bodies in the presence of a bodily resurrected Jesus, but they have no bodies in which to experience Jesus because they're just souls. It's hard for me to, like wrap my head head around being like like conscious like aware in heaven but not having a body like just your soul that's hard for me to like wrap my head around because yeah. like the only thing my mind goes to is like a ghost well yeah like you're like a floating like i think of like a floating orb of like or like you're like a flank like a and and your your soul is not a physical right. well, that's the thing and thing. if you're able so. to see and be aware how do you see that if you don't actually have a physical body to see right and all just, of this evidence, ugh. so first of all, when I say evidence, the, the evidence we're using right now mostly is uh, logic and reason versus like scripture, yeah. right? So the answer needs to come from the word of God. But what we do, some of the evidence we have from the word of God suggests this idea of being asleep uh, versus going to heaven as these spiritual bodiless souls that, I don't know, float around, not float because we're not, there's nothing to float. Right. So float would require a physical element, and there's nothing physical about us apart from our bodies. So, as it's, it's of right now, there's no actually like humans in heaven. You would say it's just. Well, I'm not saying that. Like, ba- just, but based on based on what we've said here. Yeah. So if that if this idea of yeah. sleeping, it, it, death as a really long sleep. Mm-hmm. Before the return of Christ, where at his return we get new bodies in our, at, which is this word glorification that really mm-hmm. is where we're getting at. The moment we're glorified, we get these new resurrection bodies that are perfected. So we get these perfect bodies in which our soul and this body c- 
come together just like you are right now. Right now you have a soul mm-hmm. and a body and your soul and your body are connected. Your body is the physical expression of the soul inside of you, which is operated by your mind. We call it the heart sometimes. Scripture calls it your heart and sometimes it calls it your mind. Sometimes it says heart and mind. Heart indicating more of the um, experience of like feeling and affection type of perspective. Mind, the word mind is more geared towards like this, uh, this idea of thought and Emotionless intelligence. Kinda. Yeah, um, where the heart is more of an emotional center and the mind is more of an I intellectual just, center. I just can't wait to find out someday, you know? Yeah, dude. So, so Paul says... Unless, unless we're still alive when Jesus returns and we would just never experience... And then we need to talk about what will happen at the end times if we're actually still alive. What are end times actually going to be like? Like, there's a lot of rapture. that's that's there's a lot of there's like a that's more than a post trib pre trib yeah like that's, there's that's a lot of different pre-trib. ideas that's more than a rabbit hole that's a deep so Paul says just know that Jesus will come Paul says that my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account. That's Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Right before that, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, the two options, to live or to die. My desire is to die, or he says, depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul is talking about absence of the body is presence with Christ, which he alludes to in a different text as well. Uh, what is that reference? How do we even get to this? <laughs> like the whole sleeping and dying and heaven and stuff. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five verse eight. Oh, glorification. Yeah, glorification. Like yeah. Okay. He says in Second Corinthians five eight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So he's saying, like, if I'm away from the body, then I'm home with the Lord. And, and Paul could be talking about one of two things, obviously. Either when I die, I'm immediately with the Lord, but I don't have a body, and it's just my soul in the presence of a physical body of Christ. And what does that look like? That's hard to imagine. How can you, but, even to, like, see him or feel him, you have to have... Right, physical so what's our experience action. with him? Because he's physical. He's not just, like, like, Jesus says in John 4 that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. he actually looks like, well, he, no, that's Ooh. a whole other rubbish. What God looks like? Like what the Jesus long looks like? Long brown hair, blue eyes, oh. white. Well, where, I mean, white. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that in the Bible it says that Jesus, like, isn't very attractive, right? Does it have any description? Well, I don't think... He's yeah, not a... He's going to look the same God. as he did on Earth. Then. That's from Isaiah 53, and I don't think that's so much about him not being attractive as it is Isaiah saying he's not much to look at in the sense that he looks like every other Jew. Oh, right. That's okay. all he's saying. He just okay. looks like an average Jew. doesn't... Because if he's the king of the universe, you expect this guy to be brilliantly beautiful and what Isaiah describes Jesus as a suffering servant says he just looks like a Jew. I understand. Okay. That's all. Doesn't mean he's ugly. 
It doesn't mean he's, he's attractive. What do you think? Well, what was average? What he do you also think? said he took a humble body form, so he might look different than what than he did on. I mean, like Earth. Okay. all the pictures yeah. you see, like in what books do you or think paintings, about the movie? Pretty attractive. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> what do you think about the movie Heaven Is For <laughs> Real? So- then, oh, we're getting down so many because apparently that bo- those boys, that boy and that girl, both saw like What's Jesus. Oh okay. yeah, they died and they hold, came hold back. On hold on a second. Let me just. Answer that. <laughs> we had only gotten so Okay, let me just answer that. There is zero Jesus. indication in the Bible that people can go to heaven and come back. Right. Zero. So any idea, any concept that people go to heaven and come back, mm-hmm. let me just say this. There's a whole book. If you go to heaven, whose presence are you in? Jesus's. God. God. And... Jesus. And Jesus. Okay. How do you come back from the presence of God and Jesus and A, not kill yourself immediately and go back? And I mean that wholeheartedly. Kill yourself in heaven. The way... No, listen. No, like... No, no, no. Kill yourself back. when you come back. Oh. So, like, think about this. Oh, the, because you'd be... You'd want to go back to heaven yeah. so bad. It's, and, and, and I don't... I'm not just being facetious. I mean that. Like, how on earth... The way scripture describes the glory and the beauty and the pleasure and the presence oh, like of God knew, and the magnificence, kill the magnificence of his holiness and every indication from the Bible about what it's like to be in the presence of God. And these children go into the presence of God and go, hey, I saw grandma and grandpa there and then I came back. It's yeah, like, bro, that's right. I forgot that, about the grandma and grandpa thing. Yeah, there. That's, not, so, that's not biblical. Is it? Okay, so... Is the, what would the explanation be? Like, they had a dream? Uh, you want to know th- what I really think? Most of this time this happens, how old are these people? Well, it was a kid. Children. Yeah. And who are the most influential people, peop- um, easiest people to influence? Children. Children. So who's it really coming from? Mom and dad. Wait, Their wait. kid dies... Uh, there's something happens in their kid. The kid seems to be, I mean, there are a gazillion medical miracles where, where people are de- pronounced dead for maybe a certain amount of time. And then, how long did they say he was like dead for? Oh, they, not that long. I don't think, but all I remember is that like, he was like above the... his dad's. Room oh, like he saw, saw his, saw his, and own. then he saw, and then he saw his sister that he didn't know he had that died in the womb. It was crazy. I don't know. There are, there are, okay, there are a million explanations for that. There's, a, there, there's plenty of explanations for that in terms of just uh, the, the, the uniqueness of the human experience where we can either consciously or subconsciously think of things in a certain way or experience things in a certain way. And also, we can't forget that Satan is also at work here. And he's incredibly manipulative, the most manipulative, and way smarter than us. And he wants nothing more than to tell people, yeah, yeah, you can go to heaven and come back. Oh, this little boy went to heaven well, why and he, he saw use, grandma and grandpa. Why would he use back. that? Because what? he's like promoting heaven. Dude, dude, is it real though? Well, the best thing that Satan can do, not what the, happened, best thing, but... the best thing that Satan can do for his own purpose would be to make something that's as close to the truth as possible, but not true. Well, the best heres the Dude. best heresies are the ones that are close are are mostly true because of the yeah. easiest for us to believe right so I literally watched a TikTok of they were interviewing this guy that supposedly went to heaven and came back and he was like explaining like yeah like died and then like woke up in this field and I was yeah. like 
Right. You could just like feel God's presence, and it was like warm, and I was like walking, and like this whole thing. Just was high. That makes me so mad. I'll tell you why. Because my, my only thought is yeah. like if they're <coughs> so like let's say they're in something like a medical procedure. Is like, are they like dreaming, and it just the dream just maybe like feels so real? And so Very then, well. Could so be. then they wake up and they're like, "Oh my goodness, I was in heaven." I, oh, like, and they're on they're drugs, like, so they're like, it's kind of like a so lucid like, dream. It's just, yeah. And the doctors don't know how to explain it because they haven't been through it, so okay. they have no concept of it. Vinny, I don't want to hear that again. All right. So let me give you, let me give you, let me draw a picture for you, because I'll tell you what scripture says. It looks like when people are in heaven. After this, this is Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what you must what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was... As it were a sea of glass like crystal and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created isaiah 6 in the year that king uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, so this is what people should say. I mean, not word for word necessarily, but this is the attitude of the people who are in the presence of God. Whoa! is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for I have for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said behold (coughs) this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for listen there is no way honor this 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 actually ticks me off more than anything There is no way people go to heaven. And if you tell me you came back from heaven and I don't hear, and if I hear anything about heaven and it isn't the word Jesus, I don't want to hear about it. Because if you are not coming back and being like, I cannot describe to you 
the magnitude and glory and beauty and magnificence and unimaginable vision that I had of the glory of the great, unthinkable, unspeakable, unfathomable, great grand, supreme, sovereign God, and I fell on my face, and I worshiped him, and I cried, and I was like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here, and his glory filled the place, and I thought I was going to die because his holiness is so grand, and people are like, I saw my grandma, and I'm like, you didn't go to heaven. It was a sunny cornfield. You didn't go to heaven. That's not heaven. People are heaven. I don't know what they're experiencing, but think about it. Satan loves that. Because yeah. this is how the Bible describes the glory of God. And when other people come back and go, oh, yeah, um, I was in heaven. Yeah, who was there? Grandma and grandpa. What does Satan want us to believe? That heaven's not about God. And that's exactly what scripture tells us heaven is about. Because in Psalm, hold on a second. In Psalm 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? Right. What is the point? And he says, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. What is the point of heaven without God? And for people who come back from heaven and they don't have a unspeakable description of the glory of God's presence, then they were not in heaven. It's just no way. It's a total facade. It's Satan's lie because Satan wants you to think heaven. You can have heaven, but you don't need Christ. You can have heaven, but you don't need God. You can have heaven and all your loved ones can be there. You can be, have heaven. It can be a, a nice open um, cornfield walk and walking through the field and the grass. And, and you, you feel great and there were no problems and you, you had nothing but happiness. And, and, and the one tree with the tire swing on it in the middle of this open field. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like a picture, right? And I just like, that is it's not like, heaven. That is garbage. And that that's, takes me off because that is not about an issue about people writing books about false experiences. That not, that's not what takes me off. What takes me off about it is that people are trying to make God less than he is. It steals glory from God. And when you think about the magnitude of God's unfathomable glory as described in the Bible, and then people say they go to heaven and they saw anything less than that, I'm like, you have ripped off God and you have defamed his name and it is wicked. It's wicked. And I think... Honestly, that's mostly parents coaching their kids into telling a story that allows them to get famous. And the kids and books. doesn't know any better. So. Right. They don't know. Why would they know? So, and, and you know how easy it is to ma- manipulate children? You know how many narcissist parents easily manipulate their children into believing their own story, believing stories that the parents are creating as they're telling their children? Uh, yeah. That's insane. It happens all the time. Yeah. So... So t- for a parent to manipulate their five-year-old and to think, you know, five-year-old goes into a coma, wakes up six months later, and the parents say, uh, what was it like? I, I don't know. Did, did, you see, did you see any clouds? Oh, I don't know. You, I, you, what, what was, was there any color? Maybe a little blue. Uh, yeah, oh, those are probably clouds. Did you see clouds? Yeah, I guess I did. I, yeah, I, and then all of a sudden they're just coaching this kid into this story that never happened. Or... The kid's actually experiencing some sort of like dream-like type of experience. Well, he's maybe in a coma or he's actually dead yeah. or, or there's this, you know, they've just, the scientists have pretty well confirmed that your brain is still actively at work after death for like a couple of minutes. I mean, how long, so you ever have a dream and it feels like that dream lasted all night long? You realize that dream was like five seconds long. 
Yeah. That your brain plays it like a story and you it's you remember the dream as being this long played out story. Because it's, it's the only thing you remember in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, but it's the but, but the actual dream itself was a flash of thoughts that happened very quickly at the end of your sleep cycle. And, and so to have a dream or some sort of um, – to have brain activity after being declared dead – all you would need are a few seconds to experience what is like a dreamlike, heaven-like experience. And then the, somehow maybe you're revived back to life or whatever, which happens. It's rare, but it happens. And then you're like, oh, I, I, must, I guess I was in heaven. <laughs> and then we're all like, yeah, because heaven's good. So let's write books about it and sell it to Christians. You don't think Satan loves that garbage? Heaven is for real. So all that to say, because this all is coming from the discussion about what happens when we're dead, and we're talking about that because we're talking about glorification. Yeah, we're talking about that because we're talking about salvation. We're talking about salvation. Be... Right, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. So, so glorification is this. <laughs> <laughs> to sum it all up. <laughs> to sum it all up. <laughs> glorification <laughs> is the retur- at the return of Christ when we receive our new resurrection bodies will we be glorified. What happens between our death and then is up to- for debate. Okay? And I understand that. And we can maybe make some arguments for one side or the other. But the point is we get glorified bodies one day that are perfected bodies. Yeah. Um, and that's the glorification. And that, if you turn to Romans chapter 8... Okay, Romans eight twenty nine. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. Glorified. Have you been called? Yes. Yes. Have you been justified? Yes. Have you been glorified? No. Not yet. But it says you have been. Is this past tense or present tense or future tense? And those whom he just he also glorified. Glorified. Ed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Past tense. Past tense. Right. Is but it, is, so it's talking about predestination there because we were. So you were glorified before. Um, right, but he's talking about us. He's talking about us, and he's saying that we, those who are justified, he glorified. But so, so we've already been glorified. Yeah, it's talking about. So people. we've already been glorified. But I thought you didn't. Say yeah, and those whom he predestined, he also right. called. So yeah, it's just talking so, about predestination. So what is it then? Before if we've already been glorified, then what does that mean? What is We've already been glorified, glorified but not but yet. But not yet. Yes, exactly. Already, but not yet. This this is the thing. And so Paul is actually saying glorified in the past tense because he is communicating to us that the certainty of your glorification is just as guaranteed as the fact that you've already been justified. Your justification's already done. It's, a... It happened. You can't take it back. It's already done. And your glorification in the future is just as guaranteed as the past event that can't be undone. Meaning that your glorification is so sure, it's as sure as the past event that happened. Okay, think about it like this. If I 
Um, okay, if I throw this marker at the wall, there, threw the marker at the wall, can I undo that? No. no. Can I ever undo what I just did? No. no. Can I go back in time and fix it? No. Can I make it unhappen? No. Okay. What Paul is telling us is that that's what happened with your justification. It's over. It's done. It happened. It's guaranteed. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It is the guarantee of our internal inheritance. We're sealed in the Holy <coughs> Spirit, right? So we are, that is a, the justification is a past tense thing that you can't go back and undo. Your future glorification as, is just, okay, hold on a second. If your past justification is something that you can't go back and undo, like, like just like I can't go back and unthrow that marker at the wall, then is it guaranteed? Yeah. Did it happen? Yeah. Are you guaranteed that it happened? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you see me throw it at the wall? Yes. Mm-hmm. You're 100% sure I threw it at the wall? Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a guarantee that it happened. And mm-hmm. there's no undoing it, right? Mm-hmm. That's how sure your future glorification is. Nice. <laughs> right? That's reassuring. Yeah. yeah. Dude, you can't undo it is the point. And that's why it's in the past tense because it's already done. You just experience it as not yet. But in God's perspective, it's already done. I feel like Satan really likes that fact to be twisted oh, and to like yeah. bring us doubt. That's good, like, Charlie. Because like, think of like times that you sin. And like after you do it, you're like, well, great, you now I'm screwed. Like, yeah. GGs. Yeah. I don't know. What'd you say? GGs. I said GG. The game. Like, Good game. it's over. Yeah. It's over. Adios. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're going to make a good point because I really know that Satan loves to take these truths and manipulate them. And he doesn't say the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Satan doesn't go to the pulpit and go, hey, everybody, good morning. Welcome to Grace Church. My name's Satan, and I'm going to deceive you today. We'd all be like, let's go home. <laughs> so You have the few stragglers. Yeah. <laughs> so what does he do instead? He goes to the pulpit. He, he speaks through people, and he, and he takes the, the, the biblical version of Scripture because Satan knows the Bible better than any and of us. And he promotes heaven is for real. And he promotes heaven is for real. <laughs> And, and, uh, and, and he, and he manipulates truth just enough to make you believe it, but enough, enough of it's offered to be not the truth. And that's his game. And he does it with all these doctrines. And so anyways, the whole point of this was to help us understand that if we think about what is salvation, it's three ingredients. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the, we know that our justification is a past thing that happened already, right? Mm -hmm. We know that our glorification is a future thing that is guaranteed because we've already been justified. So what is our sanctification then? Go to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. What is our sanctification then? Where does it end? No, what is it? Oh, gotcha. Um, what's, what's, what's it doing? What, why do we have it? What's the point? Uh, it's the, the good works we were created for. Yeah. Because we are his workmanship. So what, so, so, okay, first of all, God's sovereignty in verse 10 is really clear. Mm -hmm. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those good works have been what? Prepared. Prepared when? Beforehand. Before when? That's what I asked. So contextually, we could say before the foundation of the earth, because that's the context of everything previous to this. Because it's, well, and it's talking about we were created. 
Yeah. Right. So it's referring to yeah. before right. we were created. Right. Right. And so I would say, yeah. based on chapter one, it's before the found before he uh, like verse four before the foundation of the world, these works were created. Mm-hmm. But contextually, in verse ten, we are created in Christ Jesus, and before we're in Christ Jesus, these works are already there for us. So he has prepared them before us. And why did he prepare them beforehand? That we should walk. That we should walk in them. So, if we walk in them, who's doing that? Well, technically God prepared it, so. Okay. And we're supposed to walk in them. Mm -hmm. That's what we experience it, but Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my rules and my statutes and 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 cause you to be careful to obey my rules we're walking but it's the spirit walking us we need we, we can't operate on our own so sanct- just as much as our justification is the power of the holy spirit uh, uh entering our hearts and regenerating our hearts and we say things like i believe in jesus in that moment where we have faith in christ is is to us that effectual justice? Because that's what we actually see, right? Yeah. But we don't. We don't know. I mean, when people, if someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, I heard the gospel just get preached. I want to be saved. What do I do?" I mean, you can. There's a lot of different ways to answer that person's question, but ultimately, that person's already saved. They can't want because God. They, well, think about. It. They already have the belief in their heart. Yeah. Like too. the what? What are they showing? Belief. And what is another word for belief in the Bible? Faith. Faith. And that's. What do you need to and where do you get faith from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right? First yeah. Corinthians twelve three. No one can say Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Right here, grace. You have been saved by uh, by grace. You have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing; is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. So, faith is a gift put into your heart by the Holy Spirit when He mm-hmm. regenerates your heart. With that faith, you're regenerated, and you believe. And then there's this moment where you express that belief out loud. And, and then you have the rest of your life to continue to express that belief out loud with your words and your life. And we call that sanctification. So just as much as the moment you get saved and you realize, I believe in Jesus, and you say it out loud and you pray, Lord, save me, I believe in you. That is you expressing with your body the truth that you believe. The rest of your Christian life is no different than that very moment. It's just the first time. It's just the first time you do it. Yeah. And the rest of your life are, is a series of good works that God has prepared beforehand where you are expressing with your actions and obedience or with your mouth or with your mind or with your heart that you love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in 1 John chapter 3, we see that the confidence we have to know and to be assured that we are saved is revealed in the fact that we continue to obey him. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but that we continue to pursue obedience, and that Paul or John talks about that coming from a place of um, position that we are righteous and therefore we behave in righteousness. We practice righteousness because we're positionedly we're positioned in righteousness, and so that's what this means. Already, but not yet. I'm already positioned in perfection, and though I'm not yet experiencing that perfection, I'm growing into it. Because, because I'm already perfect, 
my not yet being perfect means I'm moving towards perfection, which means my entire life is growing in the grace of God, growing into Christ-likeness. So if you're justified, you're saved. Yes. And if you're justified, you will be sanctified. And glorified. And glorified. And glorified. And if you look at someone's life, Jesus says you'll know a tree by its fruit. If you're looking at someone's life, now I'm not saying we should judge people uh, or condemn them on whether they're saved or not. But if you look at someone's life and you see no evidence or fruit of their (coughs) justification and no evidence or fruit of sanctification, you might be able to say, I don't think that person has been justified. So... What if, like, someone maybe is, like, in a season, you know, but then, like, maybe you see, like, growth. Yeah. Like, I mean, could have been just going through. Yeah. But you're just saying, like, as a whole, though. Yeah. If, I mean, like, if they, like, oh, you're like, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, but then you look at their life and you're like, eh. Right. But the hard thing is you could do that with your own life. You could look at yourself and be like, yes, eh. So that's why God... Charlie, you bring up a really good point. So just keep this in mind, though, for yourselves. Because you are you guys are talking about this, but you're aware of it. So we, we can't really decide what other people are going to do, but we yeah. can determine what we're going to do. And Paul says in Romans 6, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means, right? So we don't want to abuse God's grace and just go ahead sinning, right? Mm-hmm. We want to grow. I want to get to already... I want to reach the perfection that is already guaranteed to me. I want to get there as fast as I can. It's hard. It's an uphill battle. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, pick up the million dollar gift I left on your front porch and follow me because it's going to be an easy life and you'll have all the money and all the things (coughs) you need and life's going to be a cakewalk. We're going on vacation. Follow me. He says, pick up your cross. Pick up the suffering. Pick up the sacrifice. That's what it takes to follow me. It's not going to be easy. And you will be blessed for doing it. That's why I don't understand, like, the prosperity gospel and, like, why that is even a thing. <laughs> like, if they just, like, read their Bible. Makes people feel good. I saw something But, I mean, it's the same like, thing. I just, I almost get overwhelmed just reading I this. I think cause... people just get caught up in, like, God blessing us and then they kind of just fix on that is the only well they believe a false gospel is really what it comes down to so they're they're deceived it's just like the whole god is loving thing that people think yeah then everything he does is gonna be good yeah oh wait hold on hold on on. i get what you're saying wait what did he say but i want to fix your words you just said right. it's that whole yeah. God loving thing. They think everything he does is good. Technically, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Okay. But I get what you're saying. Good from yeah. like our point of yeah. view. Like yeah. Yeah. Like, that's like, right. yeah. like, like, like I'll be. Well, Vinny. Sorry. Because um, I heard, I heard a story like not too long ago. And they were, I heard this from like a friend that he heard it from, but um, he was talking to someone and he's like, you know, if you're like, in your business, if you're not thriving and successful, then it means it's like you're sinning and God is like punishing you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, you know what I would say to that guy? This is what I would say to I was him. Like, that is a mess. I'm like, look at super successful people that are like complete. Idiots. 
jerks and crazy psychos. First of all, David talks about this in the Psalms. Yeah. He's like, why do my enemies prosper? And so the evil people prosper all the time. And God says he sends his son and the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So then I guess a question I would have is if you are successful, should I like, should you be worried? Okay. Hold on. Because great question. Because then you're like, oh, obviously I'm doing something wrong. Like, oh man, my, I like my life's going pretty well. Like you're, you're on a really good thought process right now. And I'll just say this. In terms of you need to be successful and rich in order to to be blessed by God. Listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then listen to these two. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That is what Jesus calls blessed. And none of that matches the American dream that they're talking about. So then your other point is ultimately like, uh, so does that mean if I'm rich? Because <laughs> I also or think successful, like, if you're doing something, <coughs> I would think God would want you to have a, a desire to be like, still like be successful. Don't like not try or like be lazy. Like He still wants you to be fruitful in your work and and like. You know, be thankful what God has given you, and that could be successful. I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm gonna read some Bible because I guess it's, maybe it's, it's something just, I need to work out. Because, like, to me, that's like it's just like the verse that says it's better to suffer for doing good than if that should be God's will. Yeah, yeah, but like, I forget the verse. It's like you're on it. Better to suffer it's for doing to good. Suffer for doing good. Than if to, that should be God's will. If that should be God's will. Then. Then to suffer. For, no. Then for doing evil. Oh, then for doing. Evil. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, you had the idea, right? I just want to get yeah. your words right. So then it was saying <laughs> it's saying like then you can yeah. suffer for doing good. Correct. Right. And if you have to suffer for doing good, that means someone else has to be doing an evil to you, mm-hmm. and he calls it God's will, mm-hmm. which means God is ordaining sovereignly wills yeah. that an evil is done. So that's a side point. That's a different point. But, but listen to this. Okay. To answer your question about being rich, I got two texts for you. Matthew 19. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Hmm. He said to him, Which ones? He said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall honor your mother and father. And you shall love your neighbors yourself. The young man said, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, 
Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Only with difficulty. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With God all things are possible. That's a good response. So listen to what James warns us. He says, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed the, your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. That is a warning to wealth because scripture, Jesus talks about money and hell more than anything. And the constant repeat on in scripture about finances is money will corrupt you. That is the only way. Like I just read two texts about money, Matthew 19 and James 5, and both of them call money corruption. And then you go to like Matthew 6 when Jesus talks about the uh, treasures laid up in heaven. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and earth. Uh, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be the full of light. If, you're, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I know that sounds confusing, but this is how he wraps it up in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I just money corrupts. Time. Money corrupts. Always corrupts. This is why when you read scripture, what do the early church constantly doing with their money? Giving it away. Giving it away, yeah. Giving, 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 giving. The entire theme of the New Testament is sacrifice. Give, give, give. What do you have? Give it away. What do you have? Give it away. It's like, no, I want this. And God's like, give it away and I will bless you with riches for eternity. But show me you're willing to sacrifice today. Give it away. Doesn't mean you can't have money. Doesn't mean you can't save for retirement. Doesn't mean you can't have a nice car. Doesn't mean you can't have a nice home. It's, it's a condition of the heart. But Money corrupts, and the more of it you have, the more chance it has to corrupt you. And that's why Jesus says it is just about impossible to get to heaven if you're wealthy. And that that doesn't mean that wealthy people don't go to heaven. That's not a blanket statement. Jesus is speaking about the heart. He's trying to get to this point that, like, this idea that wealth is a an idea is a, is a concept of of blessing. Like, if you have success and money and everything is going well for you, that that's blessing from God. That's not how Scripture describes blessing. Blessings in the New Testament are death. 
and sacrifice and suffering and hardships and being reviled and persecuted. That's what, that's what blessings are in the New Testament. And so having money is not a sin. Having wealth isn't even a sin, but wealth corrupts. And so we're constantly warned to be careful with how we, have our, how we use our money because I would say the most biblical use of your money is to give it away. And I don't mean just give it all away and be a homeless person. I mean, give. I don't care how or to who. And obviously scripture talks about giving to your local body so that the ministries of the church can help the body itself. But give, sacrificially give. What do you need? I can give it. I was talking to a guy today. We do discipleship together. He's like, hey, we're, we need to do some things in the church. And I was like, he's like, why don't we do this? And I said, well, we just don't have the money for it. He goes, well, how much is it going to cost? I was like, oh, probably a couple hundred bucks. And he goes, I'll pay for it. I was like, why? He's like, because I'm the church. We're the church. That's what we do. I was like, yeah, exactly. Dude, he's got the, it's a great mentality, great perspective. He doesn't look at the church as like this organization that has to take care of what he wants. He looks at himself as the church. Right. It's my responsibility as a part of this body to contribute Big in C, any way I can. <laughs> hmm? Big C, not little C. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The church, not the church not the building yeah yeah and so how did we get that money i some i asked about like you beans. oh yeah you told the story about oh prosperity we were talking about like prosperity gospel but how did we get up and then you told you talked about There's, your friend of a friend said yeah. something about the bean success but there was a reason i brought that up That's it, true. you said something and it like came to my mind mm. Oh, I was talking about false gospels. I was talking about how Satan manipulates the truth oh, into false gospels. And, and then saying. you brought in the prosperity gospel, yeah. Okay, so anyways. But then I kind of brought the other <laughs> side. It's like, well, we are easily distracted. Yeah. We are. That's great, though. I love this Bible study so much. Awesome. Um, okay, so like. So salvation. <laughs> Just is justification, sanctification, and glorification. And right now we're in the sanctifying process of one day we're going to be glorified. And and so what I really wanted to get to, and we can talk more about this next week, but what is the most clear identifying marker of your sanctification? Like when it begins? Jesus in you? Or what do you mean? What, Vinny? Jesus in you? Okay, so what does Jesus in you produce, though? Fruit, faith, and good works. What's another word for good works? Fruit. Rags. Rags? <laughs> Never mind. What? No. Wait, so say, say that again. Good work. Another what, what is the point? What is the, mo- what is the clearest identifier that you're in sanctification? What is the most clear way to know that you are being sanctified your heart okay well what does your heart produce your heart if you're if you're truly saved i feel like i don't know this but if you're truly justified we just talked about your heart your heart will do the right i mean your heart will be in the right place right yeah which is glorifying and it's going to okay so how do you glorify god by, by becoming being, more like him. Becoming, okay. Being, why would you become more like? Why do you want? Why? Why would you become more like him? Because the Bible says. So. Because the Bible says so. So the Bible tells you to be more like him. 
So if you do what the Bible says, what would you call that? Obedience. Obedience. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so you're the most, the most obvious indicator that you are in the process of being sanctified is obedience, not perfection. Obedience. Obedience isn't perfection. Obedience works us toward perfection. That's the thing is when you start talking about obedience, people start getting really like, you're legalistic. Yeah, because it's like, it's like because, because they think that you're saying you have to be perfect. No, we have to work towards obedience. It won't be perfect, but we work toward it. That's the whole point. Jesus repeated. We just saw Jesus. He told that guy, if you're going to be perfect, the the rich young ruler, if you're going to be perfect, go sell all your possessions. Listen to the way Jesus is speaking when he reads that. This will be the last thing, I swear. Okay. Listen, listen to these words. If Jesus was at an American church preaching, saying these words at the pulpit, he would get chastised for being a legalist. Listen to what he says. The dude says, what must I do to have eternal life? He's saying, what must I do to be saved? What would most people tell somebody? Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Okay. What does Jesus say? He says... If you would enter life, do what? Keep the commandments. Mm. Right. You want to have eternal life? Obey. And the first act of obedience is obedience to the faith, believing in Christ. And then your life is a series of continual obedience, acts of obedience that follow that first obedience. And then listen to how he talks. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, false witness, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling him to follow the rules. It's not legalistic. Jesus is saying obedience is the mark of a true follower of me. And then he says to him, go sell all your possessions, come and follow me. Those are rules that he has to obey. Jesus sounds like a legalist and he's not. He's preaching a gospel of obedience. The first step in believing the gospel is to obey the command to believe the gospel. Yeah. You know how many times scripture tells us this phrase, obedient to the faith? Because to believe in Christ is obedience. It's the first thing you do. And then so the rest of your life, is the rest of your sanctification is this continual obedience that comes from your faith in Christ. And is the product and work of the Holy Spirit that that God has prepared beforehand that you walk in by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How do I know I'm saved? Because I'm growing. And I'm obeying and I'm learning and being sanctified. I know it. In 1 John 3, he says, that's how you know you're saved. That's your confidence, he calls it in 1 John 3. So I wanted to, us to, I wanted you guys to understand salvation theologically and biblically in the sense of like what it really is. Because like you'll come across verses like Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, when he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. Well, that word salvation doesn't mean justification. That means sanctification. It means sanctification. Yeah. Work out the salvation. So there's an element to our salvation that we're working out. Um, and sometimes scripturally use the word, the more broad word salvation to identify a specific aspect of your salvation. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for those who are being saved, present tense being, not have been saved, but are being saved. We're not being saved. We were justified. It's over. It's done. We're saved. Mm-hmm. 
But now Paul is saying, well, part of your salvation is not just that you were justified and you get to skip the hard part and go right to heaven. Now your salvation includes this process of being or becoming something new. And that's an experience of present tense being. So you're being saved, even though you've already been justified, you're being sanctified. So it's important for you guys to understand what salvation is. And that's why I wanted to break it down into those three ingredients of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Good? Yeah. Good. Who wants to pray? <coughs> I will. Go ahead, Vinny. Dear God, I praise you for this time that we have to come learn about you together. And I just pray that we will all be safe and that we will all learn from this time that we study together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bye, Ethan. Bye, Ethan. <laughs> hey, should we, give, should we give him like a? Should we give him like a like a quiz to, and like a way to? Fine, to this way. That'd be fine. Okay. A, a way to like Ooh. prove that he listened to the whole. So, thing. so if you are listening right now, like you listen to the whole thing, send us all a text message saying with a, like a certain emoji. Oh, this what is emoji? Smart. Um, uh, this is gonna. Te- this is like the, the nerd f- face emoji with the glasses and the two teeth. All right, oh. dude, nerd face emoji. Ethan, if you listen to this whole thing, you gotta send it all of us a text message. Just send it on the group chat to the group chat. Yeah. Of uh, the nerd face emoji. We will know. Yep, we'll know. <laughs> We're gonna ask you. So will God. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, bro. We'll see ya.